All right, everybody, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. Today we have Tyler Reagan. Tyler, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So if anybody out there is familiar with Catalyst, it's an amazing organization that equips, it inspires leaders, it creates community, it's bringing the kingdom out into the world in a powerful way through discipling leaders, creating multiplication. And Tyler, you are the president of Catalyst. Did a lot of work with Andy Stanley at his church at North Point. Yeah. You're just coming out with a powerful book. We were just talking about it before we hit record called The Life-Giving Leader. And everybody out there, you've heard me talk about my philosophy about leadership and, and our responsibility and why it's important and some of the things, you know, the how to move forward as a leader. And Tyler, I got to tell you, you and I are in such, such complete alignment with how we think about this. I'm really excited for this conversation. Um, married, have two amazing kids. You got two boys. I have three boys, so I'm sure we'll have a lot to share about there. Yeah. So. Man, thanks for taking the time. Uh, you know, I, I love to, though, in your own words, maybe uh, just so the audience can get to know you a little bit, uh, a little sure. bit about Catalyst. Tell us a little bit about your journey from, you know, growing up to what you're doing now. Yeah, so I grew up here in Atlanta. And uh, like you mentioned, and thanks for having me. This is an honor for me as well, especially as people in the coaching space. I love, I love it. I think it's one of the most powerful uh, leadership opportunities we have because it, it takes people from, kind of where they are right now to where they want to go. And I, I just love the opportunity to do that. Grew up here in Atlanta. This is home for us. Big Georgia Bulldog fan, so I'm still in counseling from the national championship. Big Atlanta Falcons fan, so I'm still in counseling <laughs> from the Super Bowl. Oh, you know, my God. So that, that, it's, yeah. it's brutal. It's brutal. And, I actually uh, I used the what happened at halftime there. The, the let's, no, let's not talk about it. Like, 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 I, it's just not even. It's yeah, not is something it painful? I need to, Sorry, I don't want to. If put we want to have a good, started, if we want to have yeah. a good podcast, we're going to have to leave that alone because that one, that one's still with us, and my kids still don't even know what to do with it. But uh, you know, oh my gosh, here, that's hilarious! I uh, grew up uh, here in Atlanta, played sports, but uh, became a believer late in high school. Went to University of Georgia, was super involved with you know campus ministries and. Um, just really faith became very central to my whole life. It wasn't, faith wasn't hard for me in the sense of having it. That's just kind of a wiring thing for me. It's like, I'm all in. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's, I believe these words are true and I'm just going to trust those. And then went to seminary in Boston, Gordon Conwell, and I have a very ecumenical background. So I was a youth pastor in an Episcopal church. I was a college pastor at a vineyard church, you know, was a part of the Wesley Foundation. It's just, all different versions of it. And I love that. I love it for what I do now because Catalyst is, is not a church or denomination. So we get to sit right in the middle and right. just talk kingdom stuff and not worry about the layers that come with some of the other descriptors, you know? And so long story short, came out of seminary. My wife and I have been married 17 years now and helped start Athens Church, which was a uh, one of the first partnerships for North Point Community Church with Andy Stanley. And then came over and started one of our campuses called Brownsbridge. And my background really was producing events, you know, creative, that space production, and then uh, fell in love with leadership. I really did. And it was a big part of that. I've always, I've always believed in it and I've always felt somewhat comfortable in it, but falling in love with being a student of it became very part of my career and my life. And, and a big part of that's someone that you and I both know is a lady named Fran Lamatina started yeah. coaching me and uh, coaching my team. And every time she would coach, I, it was just like, I was a sponge. I was like, I want more of that. I want to know more about that. To the point I went to her one time and I said, Fran, I think I can do what you do. <laughs> now, if you know Fran at all, none of us can do what Fran does. Like she's, she is a diamond in the rough and she's spectacular leader. And she's but a in terms dynamo of, from, from. She's unbelievable. She I know. She's unstoppable. But she sparked that in me and it wasn't, I could do what Fran does. It's that I could coach. 
so yeah, I started as when, when I was still at North Point for about eight years, just kind of started digging into that. And then I, I got a call from Catalyst to produce the events as a contractor while I was still at the church, did that for a little bit, and then came on full time. And, and originally the job was be our creative director, but also coach and, and develop our staff, which for me was, yeah, I'm in, you know, I love that. And then a year into it, I moved into the director role and the president role. So five years now, I've been leading it. And basically, we go around the country to serve leaders who love the church and not pastors, just pastors. It's pastors, marketplace leaders, you know, bankers, insurance salesmen, teachers, educators, and then, you know, obviously pastors and, and church leaders. So that's a little bit. I mean, that's how we got there. It's kind of a crazy story. It is a crazy story. And so, you know, here's a thought for you, too, I think, is everybody's kind of observing what's happening in the world, in the church, in business, globally. There is a significant leadership crisis that's going on right now. We're in the middle of it. What are your thoughts on why leadership is so important that is something that every single one of us focuses on? Well, let's be honest, John. There's always a leadership crisis. Mm-hmm. There just is. I don't think this time is any different. It's just there's some public things that are making it feel different. You know, you get into government conversations, you get into, you know, other places and you do see. But I think as long as you and I have been alive, we've seen lacks of leadership in every one of the spheres that we look at now. Yeah. And um, every organization I've ever been part of. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. And that yeah. that's why this matters. Because mm-hmm. when you lead well, you you stand out. You look different. Like uh, the original title for this book was the color of your leadership, painting who you are and how you lead. And it was that concept that great leaders come into a monochromatic black and white environment and they bring life and vibrancy. They just change the room like that. Right. And we've been around leaders like that. Right. But unfortunately, the narrative of the day is most organizations, most leaders aren't like that. And if they are charismatic leaders, there's usually a, dark side or there's a struggle there. But you and I both have also been around leaders that changed our lives, haven't we? We've been around leaders that did something in the way that they led that changed me, not just them. And that's really a lot of what I see. One of the big shifts that I think needs to happen is great leaders look outward first. They are constantly investing in the circle of influence they have. Yes. You know, of course, we have a lot of people that are going to go, well, I'm not a leader. Yeah, you are, because, you know, uh, John Maxwell and many others define leadership as influence. So every one of us has influence with at least one other person. How you steward that influence is your leadership. That is your responsibility. That's what's on you. So, you you know, there's a lot of young leaders going out. I want to lead over here. I want to influence 500 people. Well, you have four in front of you right now. If you don't manage those well, I hate to break it to you, but that 500 might not be in the plan. You know, it's what do I do right now to steward the few that are in the circle? to make sure that I'm caring for them. And you watch, all of a sudden you'll gain, uh, you'll go from four to eight. Yeah, and I, you know, I'd also like to throw out there too, it's, you know, I think a lot of people, when you talk about what is a, a good leader, right? That, you know, uh, it's not the charis, it's not always just the charismatic, like totally. Tony Robbins type person. I was gonna share one of the people that had the most profound impacts in my life was one of the soft, most soft-spoken yep. introvert. But I got to tell you, he saw some things in me that nobody else did, challenged me, had some small conversations, pushed me into some areas that I was very uncomfortable, made sure I was mostly equipped because I tell you, I made some big failures. But you know what? When I failed, he, I thought for sure at this one point, Tyler, I was going to get fired because it was a mess. Yeah. And he looked at yeah. me and quietly gave me some advice and just said, you know what, John, next time I know you're going to knock it out of the park. Yep. 
And you know what, this, this quiet guy sewed into my life in a way that completely changed, talk about positive influence, how I saw myself. And when he did that, oh my gosh. So when you talk about the life-giving leader, right? That was, you know, just one conversation of a couple that I think were true inflection points in my life. So I, I think a lot of, it's not about who you think you should be. It's about showing up as your authentic self, the person Christ created you to be. And I think the closer you get back in touch with that, then you can actually show up in a really powerful way and have influence and impact. So, you know, one of the things you talk about, right, is we have to show up as our truest self and growth has to be from the core. And I'd love for you to share what that looks like. So somebody out there, they're listening, they're like, okay, I, I would like to have more influence, more impact, people around me. How do I do that? Yeah, that's, that is to me the foundational piece. Just like Patrick Lencioni would say that trust is the foundation for great teams. Like for me, the foundational core piece of this is great leaders, life-giving leaders. That guy that spoke life into you, mm-hmm. he wasn't trying to be somebody else. Nope. He was himself. And that's one of the qualities of a great life-giving leader. Honestly, for me, every person who's been life-giving to me it doesn't mean they don't want to grow. It doesn't mean they want to move forward, but they have been okay with themselves. They have embraced their unique God-given wiring. And so for me, when I had a story that happened, it's happened a couple of times, so that tells you something, but people have told <laughs> me that my personality would probably limit me from leadership. Um, in I think in what it, way, Tyler? What, anything I, specific there? I'm incredibly good looking and really funny. So I think that intimidates a lot of people. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I can see that. Yeah, I'm looking at you on the video, man. <laughs> so it, you know what it is? I'm, uh, I'm just, I'm incredibly extroverted. I'm very enthusiastic. And specifically in this instance, one of them, I am not a detailed person. So it was a, it was a leader of mine who, who just said, you know, you're the way you're wired. It's, it's not great, you know, in a sense. And, but in that moment, John, it, I thought about Psalm 139, which says, I was knit together in my mother's womb. And if you read a couple of verses down, it talks about he's knit you together, you know, it sees your day. But it says he did it while looking at the breadth of my life. So, so many of us, so many leaders spend their days trying to be something they're not, trying to be somebody they're not, trying to cut. What if, what if, this is a crazy thought, but what if, that verse is true and that God knit me together while looking at the story he has for me. That would imply that they connect. That would imply that my vocation, my story, my journey is connected with that unique God-given wiring. Now we're getting somewhere, right? Now, and, and so when somebody looks at me and says, your personality is, I just thought, well, okay, if, if Psalm 139 is true, then God made a mistake with my personality. He gave me a personality to flounder and not to flourish. And I don't think that's true. I think he gave me a personality that's unique. And so one of the things that I struggle with all the time is details. It's not, it's just not a natural thing for me. No, well, I'm, right I path, am the same way. <laughs> I got to right bring assessment. people on my team intentionally of course. that are actually really good at details right. or, you know what, we're going to get in trouble. But I've, I realized that that's not a strength. So well, I, I got to backfill into that. Yeah, you're, you're not going to just not try to be detailed. Like, you're going to work on the pieces. You're not going to just like, well, whatever, y'all. I'm just not good at it. But here's the thing. The very thing that those two people struggled with in my personality when it comes to me being precise, you know, the right path describes it as precise and organized and achieving. Yeah. The opposite of those qualities is generalist, improviser, and instinct. Those are the very qualities that made me a great producer of events because I don't get rattled. I come alive in those moments. So that's what's so sweet about it. I've become okay with that. 
I've almost yeah. become a little bit proud of how God's uniquely wired me. Again, we're in the leadership space, man. We're going to grow. We're going to get better at some of these things, but it starts with an okayness with yourself. Well, you know, here's something that Fran shared with me. Her and I were doing some coaching together as I was working with more and more leaders uh, from entrepreneurs to Fortune 100 CEOs. And she sent me a study that had done by Stanford. You might have heard of it. They interviewed, it was a couple thousand leaders. They're actually trying to find, is there a characteristic, a trait that they have in common? You know, yeah. from, the, from the extroverts to the introverts in business, ministry, religion, or, uh, you know, arts, entertainment, all across the board. They were trying to find what is that one thing and is, the, is yeah. it there? They actually found something. Uh, and this was across every personality spectrum, whether you're looking at the right path or Myers-Briggs right. or whatever. And you know what it was? And it was, it's the first step of, of emotional intelligence, and that is self-awareness. And yeah. that's what you're talking about. In a lot of these areas, I believe, we are held back and we are chained to where we're at now by a, a false identity. We have accepted lies into internally, inside, and we started accepting them as truths, and they have us completely bound up. And what you said is so on point. The other thing that hit me is I was really kind of going through my own process and figuring this out was in Ephesians 2.10, when he said, you know, we are Christ's perfect workmanship. Exactly. A masterpiece. A masterpiece. Now, think about this. If I truly am, if I actually just accept that at face value, that I'm a masterpiece and all this stuff that I think I should do, the expectations of other and of they, if I just set all that aside, right, if these are the skills that I have, the talents, the gifts that I have right now, that was intentional and that, and I am perfectly equipped and prepared for the work God called me to do. Leading an organization like you're doing, having influence over one person in my Bible study, changing the culture of a nonprofit that I'm part of, whatever it happens to be, I think that is powerful because guess what? We're going into it with the right attitude because you talked about before, right? It has to be this kingdom focus. When kingdom, and this is in my mind, I'd love your Mm -hmm. thoughts too, right? It's just, I think, (laughs) acknowledging the sovereignty of the Lord, the, his kingship in everything that we do, a business meeting, right. how we yep. deal with a It's a an vendor. integration, isn't it? It's completely integrated. So everything that we do, say, write, right? If that is our perspective, how does that honor God and his sovereignty in that moment? You know, yeah. you are doing kingdom work. So I say that yeah. to encourage people, but so here's a question for you. So those folks out there that do have some of this stuff, right? Their identity, they're still allowing it to be kind of given to them from the world. That's where they're really kind of seeking recognition, acknowledgement, uh, self-worth. Yeah. How do some of these leaders out there actually start taking those first small steps toward, you know, that identity in Christ, right? Closing that gap. To kind of what you were saying in that story, one of the exercises I'll do when I'll speak is I'll have, especially if I'm at a church setting, is I'll have have somebody come up who can't play a guitar, like an acoustic Mm -hmm. guitar, never played one before, and they'll come up. Because like Taylor guitars are one of the best acoustic guitars out there. They have a patent on their ne- the neck of the guitar because it has a specific sound that it makes. Ah. It's, desi- it's designed to make a certain sound. If you don't know how to play that guitar or the way it was designed and created, it's so tense for a me watching. It's tense for the person trying to play it. And that's no different than being around a leader who's acting counter to the way they were designed. It's mm. the, they, their intention and so am I. Like, you know what I mean? You've been around them and you're like, just just stop, just stop, be yourself. But then I'll have a musician that knows how to play it. And you hear the sound that comes out of this unique design. What if we had a a company full of leaders who are making the sound they were designed to make? 
That's a gorgeous thought because a lot of times there's discord because the tension of playing counter the way you're wired. Uh, Again, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to do things I'm not good at or things I don't like. It means where am I coming from in that place? Where's that core thing? Exactly what you said. I mean, a friend of mine the other day, she said, I think 90% of leadership is self-awareness. And it's not just personality assessment. So one of the things I write, uh, that's the kind of starting point for me on the kind of five steps of becoming your truest self, figuring out your truest self is self-awareness. And it's more than just knowing I'm extroverted, extroverted, I'm an ENFP or whatever. I put in there about seven different awarenesses that I feel like I've really started seeing as incredibly important for leaders. Like one of them is the awareness of history, your own family history. What triggers you? What are the things? Is it financial insecurity? Is it too much money? Like what are the things in your history? Because they're going to come up in work. They're going to come up in relationships and you're going to get triggered. You're going to be like, where did that come from? If you don't know yourself, you don't know. That's not a personality thing necessarily. That's a historical thing. You know, uh, through some of these assessments, you can also discover your um, relational keys. I think one of the most incredible things we can do for new staff members is know ourselves well enough as bosses, as leaders, to be able to look at them and go, hey, just so you know, instead of it taking two years for you to try to figure out a couple things about me, how I value things, the way I see things, here's a couple things you need to know. And for me, John, it would be I'm overly enthusiastic, so it means I'm going to commit to way too many things because I think we can do them all. (laughs) I'm going to verbally process out loud, and I need people around me that can turn that into action. I also need to And be patient enough to sit through that as I'm doing my best thinking. Yep. And I need to invite a few trusted people to say no, to Mm -hmm. tell me when I'm uh, losing some humility, to, I mean, you just have to let those people in. So that's another... But to me, that's an awareness thing, you know, awareness of, how, of confrontation style. What's, you know, and so a key to awareness is not only how do I receive things, but I need to be aware of the people around me and what they're thinking. Um, so, you know, to me, you're right. Self-awareness, it is the starting point. Uh, every time I talk to college students and they'll say, what's something we need to do right now? And I'll say, there's one thing you can do right now to be ready for the future. And it's always build your character. But the second thing is you've got to become a student of yourself student of yourself, learn yourself, the way you think, why you process that way, because then you can really start honing in, growing and getting better as a leader. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Blinkist is a book summary description that has more than 2,500 titles in their archives. They distill the key thoughts and points into easily digestible 15-minute reads. I just recently read Abundance by Peter Diamandis and was so blown away that I got the book from my local public library and read the entire thing. Others, like Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life, I was quite fine with the Blinkist version. Read in their beautifully designed mobile app at their website, export to your Kindle, or listen to the audio version on the go. I prefer to listen while I read along right before I go to sleep. I fell in love with this service last year and turned John onto them in December. You as a listener, have our word that any products or services that John or I advertise on this show, we personally use and are not just fans, but raving fans. Blinkist is definitely in that category. So try it with a seven-day free trial. And if you use our affiliate link that's embedded in the summary of this MP3 or at eternalleadership.com slash blink, it's an easy way for you to help support all the work that Sandra, John, Daisy, Fidias, and myself put into keeping this show going. So please, if saving hours and hours 
by reading a well-written summary of some of the top books out there. Sounds like something you'd want to try for seven days. Click on that affiliate link, eternalleadership.com slash blink. Thanks. As I uh, was really working at making some, you know, changes myself, right? I, you know, I kept dwelling on, you know, how do I tra- actually transform my mind to the mind of Christ? What, what does that even look like? And, right. you know, and this is kind of the path that I started walking. And here's some, you know, simple things that people can do. I started looking at, like in my world, right? I would react either in anger, frustration, over-exuberance, over-committing. But here's what I realized. There's an event that happens. First thing that happens is I have a thought, right? The thought is really coming from my heart, my experience, uh, my life. That thought leads to a feeling. It could be anger, whatever it happens to be. But then we take our actions out of those feelings and then repeated actions are habits. So what I started writing down in all these different situations, you know, I kind of looked at the action that I took and did that have a positive or outcome to what I wanted to do to accomplish how to influence others or what was it? holding me back or having a negative outcome. And I would back into that. What was the feeling that led to that? What was the thought? And where did that come from? Is it something my mom or dad said? Is it an experience I had in the military or whatever? So I started identifying that and actually working with my coach to actually start. And then I started saying, okay, what would a thought when that event, it's going to happen again, that trigger at work, somebody's going to be late with a report, somebody's going to ignore you in a meeting or not engage with right. maybe an idea that you put out there, right? How do I engage in that in a way that builds the relationships with others and honors how Christ has wants me to show up and wired me to show up? And that yeah. for me, you know, just some of these simple steps, and that's how a lot of the work I do with my clients, but uh, I, I think has profoundly affected my marriage. I've been married now yep. 30 years. It's never been better. My relationship with my three boys who are 21, 19, and 14 is absolutely been transformed. And so, you know, there's little things that we do, but so here's a question for you. Let's say there's people out there, they have this desire, this passion, they want to be this life-giving leader. They've even maybe done some work in this area to really understand themselves better. You know, what are some ways that maybe people can kind of look at the environment that they're in right now, their sphere of influence, and get some feedback on how well they're doing as a life-giving leader and then take the next step? I think what's crazy is leadership's not that complicated. It's not as complicated as a lot of people lead it on to. You know, I mentioned John Maxwell earlier who started Catalyst. John always said people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Uh, The whole concept, really, the biggest point of this book is when life flows, influence grows. Like if you've got influence with two people right now and you care for them well, you will be amazed how quickly there are four people in that circle. I have a, I mentioned to you earlier, I'm going up to this little conference this weekend and, and uh, it's not a little conference, it's it's a conference in Nashville and the pastors um, of this church, she did a sermon a little while ago and she said, uh, when they first started the church, they're from Australia, they're in Nashville now, they met in their basement. And one yeah. night they had five people at the church. It was the seven total, the two of them and five people were there. And she said it was one of the most incredible worship services she's ever been a part of. And she says she remembers looking at those five through mm-hmm. prayer and said, Lord, if only these five, I will give them everything I have. If only for these five. Wow. But she understood that her leadership journey was not the destination. She understood that how she took care of those five was going to indicate whether or not she could take care of 50 Mm. and indicate whether or not she could take care of 500. 
And I've watched leaders who are the most life-giving in my life and life-giving out and around. They understood that principle. You know, Craig Rochelle will talk about when they started Life Church in Oklahoma City in a garage where they put mirrors in there just to feel a little bigger. You know, <laughs> Craig knew that he had to take care of that group, not worry about the group from 10 years from now. But, you know, like that little bit of influence, that stewardship of people that, that aren't here, right? Some people That's get all exactly concerned right. about, hey, I got 20. I was hoping for 40. And they're focused on the people that didn't come versus the people in the room. I've seen that. That's exactly too. right. So it, it, it just goes back to the simplicity, in my opinion, of this whole thing, which is you take care of those that God's put in your influence, like in your circle of influence. Love them, care for them, pray for them, be with them, push them, devote them, challenge them confront them, you know, what does it look like? But know them. And I think if half the leaders out there right now, John, would take 10 minutes today to just do that very thing, just check in. It has nothing to do with the task they're working on, nothing to do with the project. You need to make sure they get across the finish line. I'm telling you, you take care of those people and they will stay with you. They will. They just will. And if they leave, it's because God's called them somewhere else, but they're not, you know, my favorite thing is when people go in tears, Hey, I feel like God's called me somewhere else. I don't want to leave, but I know I have to. That's the way we want people leaving, right? That's the way we want people to go. So I totally started talking about that. Totally equipped and prepared. Because God's a God of abundance. If he's my, my number one top performer and God has called him to go start an organization. He's going to bring somebody else. But now that's a mindset check, isn't it? So, Because what you're talking about is taking your focus and having a sincere interest in other people. And I think that is actually one of the things that actually holds people back from stepping into what I think is really effective leadership. What what do you think is behind that mindset? Well, it's recognizing they're not mine anyway. Mm -hmm. Like if my hands are open with the people that I have to steward right now, I've always said two things. One, I want you, if you work for me, I want you to be a better leader, whether it's six weeks or six months later. If, I mean, if you work for me for six weeks, six months, or six years, by the time you leave, you should be a better leader. But the second thing is that I care more about you than what you do for me. You need to know that. You always need to know that. One of my key vice presidents, she's a mom of two boys, young boys. And I've told her from day one, I'm bringing you here, but you need to understand your first job is to be a mom. And that's my highest priority for you. She's by far one of the best employees I've ever worked with. Yeah. And it's not because she has, you know, she's got scheduling things sometimes and she got doctor's appointments and things that she has to do as, as a mom, but it's because she knows that that's a high priority for me, that she's a mom. She's so loyal and connected and full of life because the priority was placed appropriately from her boss. You know what I mean? And so I think it's, but you know, this John, I mean, we all know this. It's those men and women who have poured life into us because they chose to see us, not what we do for them. Right. That's what makes them life giving. Again, I don't want to break first people's bubbles that there's so many books on leadership. I read them all. I'm a student of it. It's not that hard. You care for people. You just, the whole point of life giving is which way is it flowing? Is it flowing from you? to them, then you'll always be leading in a great way. Well, yeah, I want to repeat something you said. I think it's so powerful. If people can just adopt this, right? That I care more about you, who you are as a person, what's going on in your world, than what you are going to be doing for me in the organization. 
That's right. I guarantee if you think, if everybody out there, you know, listening right now thinks of, okay, who's somebody that's actually treated you like that? Right. I'm guessing that's probably somebody you, you think very fondly of, respect, admire. They've been one, maybe a catalyst in your own life that's for right. something better. Then begs this question. I'm in an organization at some level. And everything we've been talking about is the opposite of how I would describe the person that I'm working for right now. Yep. So what can we do to influence our sphere of influence that we have? And we do have one regardless of where we're at in an organization. Yep. When yep. we don't have life-giving leaders, you know, above us or above maybe us. even around us. That's a good question. I, um, one of my best friends, he's the campus pastor at North Point now, a guy named Clay Scroggins, wrote a book, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. And it's just a, it's a great it's just a great book that kind of helps actually practically put some stuff in place yeah. on how to honor above. My favorite resource ever when it comes to just authority in general is a book called uh, A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. And every time I've ever been under a leader who I don't respect incredibly highly, I think of that book because basically in that book, the Gene Edwards lays out the fact that there were three kings back in the day. There was David, Solomon, and uh, or David, Saul, and Absalom. All three were God's appointed kings. They were not all good kings. Matter mm-hmm. of fact, Saul was a horrible king. But David understood one principle, that he was God's appointed king. And he didn't understand why. He couldn't explain it. But he wasn't going to change it. And what we find is so many leaders are going, I should be in that spot. And they start doing things potentially to... to maneuver in there or to, I have just never operated that way. Even in in positions where I just did, I wasn't in a good place. I left one place where I just didn't fit great with a leader. And I remember saying, God's called you to be here. I see you as his appointed leader, but it doesn't mean I have to stay. So if it's not going to subvert him or gossip, what what you chose to be, regardless of this person, like David and Saul is to be the first follower to be a, to honor God, right? To have a kingdom focus on right. how you're going to follow him while you are under his authority, you can make a choice to leave that authority. That's right. But if you're making a choice to stay, you need yep. to be the person that's actually helping that person succeed and yep. the people around that's you. That's exactly right. Because you actually care yep. about him, even if you might not like him. Yep. And I can tell you that if more people just did that, could actually become better followers. Yep. People that adopt that mindset as great followers yep. are the ones and, that I and, see become amazing leaders. And here's a great way to picture it mm-hmm. is most young leaders and leaders in general, you don't know everything. I know, I know, you know, it's really hard to hear that, but <laughs> as someone who leads an organization, you know, you've heard that saying a million times, it's lonely at the top and the leadership is lonely. I disagree with it on one side is if I don't bring people into my life, it will be lonely, but I can invite people in that space, but where it does come true is there are certain seasons in life of leading that there's a weight that you carry that nobody else carries. And there are times that you feel it and nobody else feels it. And what most leaders who are under a leader who disagree with a decision, disagree with a posture, disagree with this, they will never understand the weight of the responsibility that person's carrying. And so, and on, by the way, I bet there's a lot of information you don't have as you're looking at it going, oh, I would make a different decision. Well, would you make a different decision if you knew da, 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 if you knew these seven things, but you're not supposed to know those things. You're not going to know those things because you're not in that role right now. So there's something about just going and choosing trust versus suspicion, a talk that Andy Stanley always does. When there's a gap in information, what if, this is crazy, 
What if you actually trusted that your leader has your best interest in mind, even if it's something different than what you would pick? What if your leader actually needs your prayers more than they need your advice? What if, what if, oh, by the way, you knew what's going on in their life right now that's causing them to struggle with this, that, and the other? Again, I don't want to take anything away from the leader. You have a responsibility to lead well. But if you're in a position, one, trust that God's got that person there for some reason. It's your, not your job to move them out. But two, what if God needs you? What if that leader needs you, number one, to lead your sphere of influence really well? Nobody can wait to take care of their sphere of influence until they get the right one. You take care yeah, of it if you, now. If you create those dependent events, you're never going to move forward. And, and I just want to you're echo not. what you say. You know, working in organizations, military, ministry, corporations all over the world, working with so many, so many people, Here's what I've come to find out about people in general. They're good people. They want to be liked. They want to do a yep. good job. They want to have healthy yep. relationships. And I remember reading that and when Andy wrote that book and when our kids were teenagers, I sat down with my kids and I said, here's where I'm coming from when I'm looking at anything that you do or decision you make. It's because I trust who you are, your character and your judgment. I'm not going to be coming and saying, did you know, are you doing this because you might be sneaking off to do drugs or whatever? Yeah, it's which angle are you coming from? And we set this expectation from the beginning. And you know what yeah. our kids did? They rose to that of course. expectation. Now they they all made some mistakes, but you know, who doesn't? But you know, I love that thought. So as you're thinking about it, you know, you know, this way, right? Looking at the one thing I wanted to bring up, because I think it's very important to us. You look how Jesus did it, right? And it's how we also communicate to people. Yeah. And deal with conflict. So let's say I'm working for you yeah. and you're doing something that's actually really bothering me. And, and if I was, yeah. uh, I don't want to, you know, maybe I'm gossiping to my friends, you know, do you know, Tyler does this, he does this, overcommits, whatever. But maybe it's something from the, you know, we talked about some of those things in the past, maybe those baggage sure. are kind of getting triggered. Now, I could actually make a choice to either maybe get passive aggressive or being a wounded avoider. But I think right. really as a leader, if you want to have influence, right, we get to influence our peers. We get to influence people that report to us, but we also have significant influence up to the people we 100%. report to. Yeah. And I know there's been times in my life where I've gotten some feedback that was hard to hear because I had a blind spot, right? Some people just think their boss is a sociopath. Well, here's right. the news. Less than one half of 1% of people are. So chances are, you know what? Your boss just has a blind spot. Yeah. If I came to you and just said, hey, Tyler, you know what? This could totally be me. I could be wrong. But when you do this in a meeting or when you talk to me about this project or this event, here's how it lands on me and I'm losing sleep and it's really bothering me. Can I talk to you about it? Yeah. You might say, oh my gosh, John, thank you for sharing that. I had no idea. Let's, let's sit down and have a conversation. And you yeah. know what? Holding stuff in when something bothers you, not to go and complain, but I want to go and have the conversation because I actually want to build the relationship, maybe share some fit. And guess what? I might be totally wrong. What you're doing might be absolutely appropriate sure. and correct. And I might need some input, like something like that in this environment actually yeah. shouldn't bother me. And I have some things to work through. And right. you might then be able to help and coach me through that. But, you know, being able to not only give, but receive feedback Right. Is a developed skill. It's a big part of our self-awareness. That's something I ask people, how, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how good at you are actually receiving feedback, especially right. feedback you don't agree with. Okay. Well, it makes me think of two things, John. One is you got to go all the way back to the fact that if you're not an approachable leader, mm -hmm. nobody's ever going to feel like they can do that. So yeah. number one, you have to create an environment and a culture 
where you give permission to speak into that. But it's got, but here's the thing. Leaders have to be smart too. There are a lot of immature people that you cannot give that freedom to because they're not going to handle it well. It's like taking a right path 360 or a 360 evaluation and letting immature people do an, an anonymous rating of how you do at things. That's not a good plan. Like that's because if you get somebody that's not happy, guess what? It's not going to go well. Yeah. Because they see it as a chance to just say, and it's going to throw the whole thing off. It's got to be, now you want some people that are going to push you. The other thing that comes to mind too is, is again, a thing I've, I've learned for years, which is public loyalty leads to private leverage mm-hmm. and vice versa. You know, but, but if you, in our team, you're with me, you're for me, you stand with me, you're my advocate. And then privately, you want to have those conversations to go, Hey, you know, out there, I was, and it's not fake. It's not whatever. It's just, don't do that in front of everybody. If you want leverage with me, you, yeah. you approach it right. Um, I've said this for years. You can be so right and approach it wrong and you're not right anymore because I can't hear you. I can't hear you when you approach it wrong. So it is, it's, it's a two way street. One is the leader has got to create an environment where there's trusted people they've invited into that the off the office of the leader is not off limits to the staff. Like it's gotta be some sort of approachable way at the same time. The leaders below have to figure out how to do it in a way that's God honoring and leader honoring so that they're doing it and it can be heard. Because if you're going to go out on a limb and you're going to put yourself in a position, I really hope you take the time to make sure you put yourself in the right position. Yeah. And what I have seen has worked for me personally, right? To actually start setting that environment. First of all, what you know, what you're talking about, right? Do those check-ins, get to know your people, care about them as a person. Yeah. In who they are. But the other part too is what I would call just extreme vulnerability. Right. Right. I mean, there's times I've absolutely messed up, had marriage problems, made bad business decisions, lost million dollar deals. And sometimes when you're in the CEO, a lot of, especially the junior folks, just assume you kind of got it all wired. Right. The more that I can just kind of share some things that are kind of really personal that relate to maybe something that's coming up, it opens the door for them to not only be vulnerable back with me, but to yep. then actually have a much more sincere form of dialogue back and forth. Right. Too. So right. if we kind of build a wall and, and we don't want to let anybody in, that's going to make really hard for people to approach us, have some of these conversations for us to get the feedback. You're exactly right. It's building the right atmosphere. So now the, the book is The Life-Giving Leader and it's just launching. I got to tell everybody, this is absolutely fantastic. Uh, learning to lead from your truest self because you know the our entire leadership philosophy, what we do and with all our clients, Tyler, is we start with that. How do we help you move to be the best version of yourself as a leader? Yep. Yep. Because when you, and you don't have to be the guru, you don't have to have it nailed because if you're just one or two steps ahead of somebody else, you can start helping them do the same thing. And you talk about how to do that in the book. That's what I love about this. It's just practical, it's actionable. Then you can bring that into the team Yep. I really believe that somebody listening to this, somebody who takes this book and reads it, who's sitting in a cube, who's got a manager who's not a life-giving leader, you could actually right. over time influence and actually change the nature of that organization and culture, don't you think? Absolutely, 100%. We've both seen I mean, it done, haven't we? Yeah, it's your responsibility. Like, Be the leader you want to be led by. That's the way to do it. How else can you know people get in touch with you, connect with you, Catalyst, uh, you personally, the book? Yeah. So Catalyst is all of our events and, and content would be at catalystleader.com or Catalyst Leader on social media. Me personally, it's Tyler Reagan, R-E-A-G-I-N.com. Uh, we've got an email newsletter, you know, blog stuff. 
and then it just it allows you to kind of stay connected with me on social media it's the same thing at, at Tyler Reagan so but it's you know at the end of the day we really believe that as believers we have a responsibility to lead at a way that's at a higher standard because people's faith depends on it and I don't know very many people John that have walked away from Jesus because of Jesus but I know a lot that have walked away because of those of us that represent Jesus that's why this matters to me we are part of something so much bigger than ourselves. And it, it is critical that we lead, that what we say to people, what we preach on Sundays, what we preach is who we are Monday through Friday. And so that's why we do this. That's why I care about it. And uh, I just, I want to leave the church and, and, and not just the buildings, the people better than we found them. I want to, I want to continue. I, I believe in it. This message matters to the world so much. And we've just got to do everything we can to show it that it's that is life changing, not just talk about it. Yeah, and you know everybody out there listening, think about it. Think about how much time we spend at work. A lot of the people that you work with who don't go to church have no interest in going to church, or the reason they walked away from the church. You showing up as an ambassador of Christ in that marketplace, you are their only window into what that could look like for them. And our ability to have a kingdom impact. I don't think there is a greater opportunity right now that exists in the world than a follower of Christ showing up in the workplace to do excellent work as their best self to yep. influence other people to actually have some of these conversations uh, that are, that I inevitably come up. You know, one of the things that excited me about coaching, Fran said every one of her, cause I was looking at, do I just work with Christian men? Cause that was where right. I started. Or do I expand past that? And Fran said, you know, every single time I've ever worked with a company run by an atheist or whatever it happens to be, and we're really making some progress, it always comes down to this conversation of, you know, why is this working? Where does this stuff come from? And she right. would basically answer him this question, well, I don't think you want to know. I'm like, that's <laughs> awesome. Well, you know what? I was working with a guy who's an atheist of a CEO of a Fortune 100 company. You would know the name of the company. And yep. we were having transformation in the culture of this organization, business results turning around, people now staying in the company. We had that exact same conversation that Fran told me could happen. And I said, I don't think you want to know. I'll tell you what, Tyler, he did not like that answer. Yeah. He insisted. So I shared with him. It comes from my personal faith in Jesus Christ and everything I'm sharing with your team and your buy, what we're doing is based on the Bible. He's like, go on. We had an hour and a half conversation. So don't underestimate your influence. Right. Everybody out there listening in the marketplace, not only to have just results for yourself and where you're working and think causes that are important to you, but that ripple effect. If you touch the lives of a hundred people in a positive way for the kingdom who yep. touch a hundred people over the next two years, who touch a hundred people over the following next two years, do you realize that somebody sitting in the cube and not even a management position, literally could touch a million lives in the next three, four, yeah. five years. I believe that's with all my heart. So yeah. just, hey, just as we wrap up, man, this is awesome. I could talk. I just love our conversation. But uh, just any final thoughts, call to action you'd love to leave with all of our listeners out there? I think it just, it boils down to the, the simple thing is if I had to pick one of these things to really focus on today, it would be Self-awareness, like we talked about, that's, mm -hmm. that's the foundation and, and knowing yourself and actually, because the second step for me is self-accepting. Mm. That's the hardest thing for leaders to do is accept that uniqueness because we see all the other ones and social media helps us see everybody else's skill set and all the other overnight successes that took 10 years to be the overnight success. Like there's things that throw us off, but you being your true self is the very best thing for your kids. It is the very best thing for your family, your spouse, your friends, 
look, at the end of the day, I don't think any of us want a title or an organization on our tombstone. What we want is father, mother, friend, husband. You know, I mean, like the relationships matter. That's the centerpiece of our life. And what I just don't want, John, is I, I don't want to be so good at work that I get to the end of my life and there's nobody around me. That's a sad thing. And I think it happens way too often. And we just got to change the, the tone on that. And let's, let's be life-giving to the people around it. It's better that way, isn't it? Yeah, I can see your tombstone right now, Tyler. It would say life-giving, life-changer. Yeah. Right? You give life, you pour out, you change a life. And guess what? That repeats. And now yeah. that is leaving a legacy. That is living your life in a way that outlives your life. Yeah. I would put Georgia on there, so like Georgia Bulldogs on there somewhere, but we'll get to that another time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, you know what? It's good. That my social filter just kicked in, so that. that <laughs> self awareness. See, there self, you go. Way to there go. Was my, that, actually, that was I think up the ladder. That's self regulation. Self regulation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dude, that was awesome. You are welcome back on here anytime, and please, everybody. We have authors on now and then, but I got to tell you, this is a book I would truly recommend. This is the kind of leadership that works. This is how we should lead. You know, a lot of us uh, as Christians talk about kingdom leadership. A lot of us don't really understand what that means. This book that you wrote, The Life-Giving Leader, that is what this is about at the end of the day. This is about how to really be a kingdom leader that makes a kingdom impact. You know what? That is what we're called to do, right? And through that, one person can be part of a movement that, you know, what are we called to do? Disciple nations, right? That sounds so big. God can do anything. It just takes a few of us to actually suit up, step on the field in uniform, not being the fans cheering the other ones on. We just got to get out of the stands and onto the field. So with that, Tyler, thank you. This was awesome. Thanks for having me, John.